friends. Welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. I think it's a really delicate balance of listening and not inserting my own story, yet offering enough of myself and my own story to encourage someone else to share the same. Yeah. We're officially in hot chocolate season. Today is the first day of December, and I'm loving all the Christmas music, the beautiful lights. And did I mention hot chocolate? (laughs) I hope you guys are enjoying this season and just all the joy that comes with it. And I am super excited for all that's to come on the show this month. Today's episode 26 and my conversation today with Meggie Belial begins our family Christmas series of episodes. Each week leading up to Christmas, I'll be sharing conversations with members of my family to celebrate their stories and this beautiful season. Meggie and I are basically related, although I'll let you listen to the episode and find out all the details. We first met while studying dance at Bellhaven University, and I'm so thankful for her friendship over the years. Maggie is a professional dancer, choreographer, and founder of the company Mayco Dance. Maggie shares her journey dancing with a variety of companies in Texas, New York, and New Jersey, including Ingredients Dance Company, Roxy Ballet, Adeum Dance Company, Open Sky Arts Collective, and more. We chat about the value of community the challenge and the beauty of taking a fresh look at our beliefs, and how to have better conversations. We talk about Meggie's journey founding Mayco Dance to promote the art of listening through the creative art of dance. Inspired by her mom's cancer journey, Meggie's hope is to help bring healing to the hurting through the beauty of movement. Mayco Dance shares stories that inspire, honor, and bring healing to all involved. I love how Meggie expresses, your story is unique and needs to be heard. Enjoy my conversation with Maggie Belisle. Awesome. Well, I guess we can jump in. Okay. And it's kind of funny because we're like already talking, so it's a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm always the one doing the interviews. Oh, yeah. With Mako stuff. I've never been the one on this side of That's things. So. true. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I'm super excited to get to chat with you. And just for people that are listening, I'm with my friend Maggie slash like sort of sister, well, sister in Christ, but also like sort of actually related-ish, not exactly, (laughs) through marriage. Sister-in-law. Once removed or something. Yes, something like that. (laughs) If that exists. (laughs) Yeah. So my sister-in-law is married to Maggie's brother. So that's super fun. Yes. Yeah, I'm like trying to figure out how to how to word it. But yeah, basically we're we're related, so it's great. Yes. <laughs> so fun. My brother and Rachel married into the same family. There we go. That's a great way to explain it. <laughs> Yay! So it's super fun. Um, I was thinking back to like we met at Bellhaven and kind of like through the years and getting to just like continue that friendship, and then now we get to see each other at like family birthday parties and <laughs> holidays once in a while. So. Definitely grateful for your friendship and getting to getting to catch up with you today. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So do you want to just share with whoever's listening just a little bit about yourself and, and then we can kind of jump into more about your story? Sure. Well, I live in College Station, Texas, and I grew up here and moved away for a good like 10 years dancing and studying and such. And then... Just moved back about a year ago and had my first baby. Yay, and she's Zuli. the cutest. She is literally the cutest baby that ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's nine months now. Yeah, so that's where we are in life. And it's been really fun to watch Zuli and see her grow. Yeah, for sure. We were just talking about before we started recording um, how being in quarantine with a baby is super fun because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like something to keep you occupied. Yeah. Super cool. Well, love to hear um, kind of your beginnings in dance and what got you started in the first place. Well, I started dancing when I was four and 
started at Suzanne School of Dance, just doing like ballet, tap and jazz, you know, the combo. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) um, I just, I loved it. I think my parents put me in dance because I never stopped moving. I would like eat on the go. They'd like give me a bite and then let me dance around the kitchen. Nice. So I just was always a mover and trained at a serious ballet school for a couple of years, like in middle school. And then, but most of my before high school training was all at Suzanne School of Dance. So okay, very free, worshipful, encouraging environment. So it was a great start. Yeah, for sure. And then they have a company there, right? Mm-hmm. I danced with like the studio company in high school called Company Abundance. And then Graduated from high school and joined Ingredients Training Program in Dallas, which is a part of Dance Revolution. Gotcha. And I was okay. a trainee for one year and then joined the company for another year. And then from there, went to Bellhaven, met the Woo-hoo. beautiful Rachel, yeah. and finished my degree. I'd been doing college on the side with Ingredients and then Okay, gotcha. Spent three years at Bellhaven finishing that. And then after graduation, I moved to New York for the summer and worked for Joffrey Ballet and then danced in New Jersey for a year with a ballet company called Roxy Ballet. Mm-hmm. And it is still a wonder to me that they paid me to put point shoes on. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> It is pretty amazing. Well, at least like, no, I think you're awesome. And that's so great. But like, I'm thinking about myself. I'm kind of putting my foot in my mouth. But yes, (laughs) thinking about myself to, yeah, I don't know. It's just a lot on point. It's amazing that they paid me. I mean, anyone who knew me college or before knew that I hated ballet. And I was (laughs) not very good at it either. (laughs) something happened my last year at Bellhaven and I just fell in love with ballet and ended up in a ballet company. So anyways, (laughs) from there, only spent one year there and then went back to New York, freelanced for like three years. And that's when Matt and I got married around that time. Mm -hmm. And then took a break from all the dancing and spent three months in New Zealand, which was awesome. That is (laughs) so cool. And then went back to Texas, danced with Laudeum for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and then got pregnant, danced with Open Sky for half a season, did my last performance when I was 36 weeks pregnant. Wow. And then, since then, we've just been been doing a lot with my company, Mako. So yeah, that's kind of the... It's the, journey the overview. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So it'll be fun to dive in more to some of those areas and then also Mako and kind of hear more about the heart behind that. Yeah. And yeah, but kind of going back to maybe we'll start with ingredients. So back when you first kind of ventured out outside of kind of your studio growing up and what was the experience like going to Dallas and training and then being part of ingredients? It was super fun. I loved my time at Ingredients. I was 18, 19, 20 mm-hmm. when I was there. So they were very formative years. And I don't know what Ingredients is like these days, but um, when I was there, it was very, there were a lot of requirements, a lot of scripture reading and exams and. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. Book reports and papers. It was not just the dancing, which was great. I really. I really enjoyed all of that, but the dancing was amazing. I very contemporary. Um, We actually did a lot of hip hop when I was there, which was really fun because I love hip hop, but never did much of it in high school. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I really loved ingredients. I feel like it was, I mean, just a very worshipful environment. Mm -hmm. And y'all did, so they would, y'all would travel to the different like dance revolution conventions. Mm -hmm. And then did y'all do anything outside of that or was it pretty much just tied with the conventions? Uh, No, we did a lot. We were, we were kind of always on the go, which suited my personality. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We traveled with the conventions, which was super fun. We literally never slept like the whole weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I remember my first convention 
I was so tired. I hardly slept the night before we left, like packing and stuff. And then we got there and we had a rehearsal until I think literally like two in the morning. Wow. We were rehearsing because we'd get there around like, I don't know, 5 p.m. or something. We'd fly there in the morning, Mm -hmm. get there, set everything up. Then we'd have the big welcome and hundreds of students come in and and then there's like a party and the party ends and then like around nine and that's when we start rehearsal. So wow, for like the huge production, which is the whole cast that has not seen each other for months and we have like this entire production to put together. So it was always really intense. Yeah. So anyways, we were rehearsing from like nine to 2 a.m. or whatever. And having been up since like 4 a.m. on our flight and I went, I took a shower and I'm like putting face cream on in the mirror and I fell asleep (laughs) standing up, putting lotion on my face. (laughs) And I opened my eyes and I was terrified because I saw this person standing in front of me and I didn't realize it was my own reflection. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So a lot of my time and ingredients was just being so exhausted, but so happy. Uh-huh. Then we'd wake up at 6 a.m. and perform. Wow. So outside of conventions, we did a lot with Gateway Church okay. in Dallas. Yeah. And that was always really fun because they're a huge church with a lot of resources. And so every production we did with them was just really fun like smoke everywhere and lights and mm-hmm. awesome costumes and hair and makeup and just very much like the production mm-hmm. but it was always I I think I kind of have always judged big churches until getting to work with Gateway and getting to see the people behind the scenes mm-hmm. it was really cool to see that their hearts were so for salvation Mm-hmm. And in the midst of rehearsal and in the midst of hair and makeup, there was so much depth and um, the production team would just stop to pray and mm-hmm. pray that the Lord would really make a difference through what we were doing. And I remember one Christmas show, our makeup artist, I think there were seven of us and we were demons. We were all portraying demons okay. and she had really prayed before doing our makeup, like and just ask the Lord how she should do it, which I thought was really interesting. I'd never thought about praying about makeup, right. but she did. <laughs> and she cool. came in there with this like amazing vision. And she said she felt like we should all portray the seven deadly sins. And so she did all of our makeup accordingly. Mm. And I just remember the makeup she gave me was like unforgiveness or something. Mm. And it really resonated with some stuff that the Lord was doing in my heart. And I remember some of the other dancers saying the same thing. And so it was just cool. Like the Lord can work through makeup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's that's incredible. So then how did you hear about Bellhaven and kind of end up going there to finish your degree? I think that one of my friends that I grew up dancing with, she went to Bellhaven. So I had kind of heard about it through her. And honestly, I did not want to go there. It was like, the bottom of my list. I don't even know why I applied, but I did. But I was convinced that I was going to go back to A&M after my two Mm -hmm. years with ingredients and finish up my degree there. My whole family is Aggies and I love college station. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I just thought I would be at A&M. And I kept praying about it. And the Lord, I remember, brought to mind the colors green and yellow and I was like what could that possibly mean and I remember that (laughs) night after praying with someone about about Bellhaven about like my next step that was the impression I got and I went back home and looked online and was like oh man those are Bellhaven's colors (laughs) dang it (laughs) that's so funny and so anyways I continued to pursue A&M instead and Worked all summer to try to get things to work. And it was just very complicated. It was like jumping through a ton of hoops to get my college credits to work out. And at the last minute, like two weeks before Bellhaven started, 
classes, I was in a meeting at A&M with an advisor and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, you're going to Bellhaven. And I was like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and I loved it and it was great. Yeah. Bellhaven was awesome. But yeah, yeah, it's so funny how like we don't always, I don't know, want to go in a certain direction. And then God's like, no, here we go. This is the Mm -hmm. way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So many fun memories from our time there. And I know one of the things that was super special for me was having you in my senior project. Yeah. That was a really cool time. And I think that, I mean, obviously we were close before that, but I feel like that was like a bonding experience for all of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like getting really close to it. time. Yeah, for sure. So thanks for being part of my senior project. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. (laughs) So what were some highlights of your, well, highlights or like challenges from Bellhaven? Man, I think I really, really appreciated the quality of training Mm -hmm. that we got at Bellhaven. I, like I said, I was not a ballet dancer and I hated ballet with a passion. (laughs) And then I got to Bellhaven and that didn't change at first, but over the years, I really developed an appreciation and mm-hmm. even a love for it towards the end of my time there. So I would say that was definitely a highlight mm-hmm. was just the caliber of training that I received and the friendships. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking with you today and so many people that I met through Bellhaven are still friends. Yeah. And I met Matt. I met my husband through a Bellhaven friend. That's right. In a roundabout way, but still. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a plus. Definitely. I sprained my ankle pretty bad my first year there. And that was that was tough because I didn't know very many people at the time. And it was a very, very difficult rehearsal process that led to spraining my ankle. Mm, so yeah, that was probably a hard, yeah, one of the harder times. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. But overall it was amazing. I really loved being there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a special time for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. Yeah. It's, you never know who God will use and like mm-hmm. connect you up with people and getting to meet Matt. So that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then you would move to New York, New Jersey first, New Jersey. That's mm-hmm. right for the ballet company. That's awesome. And that was more, they like contemporary ballet. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. I mean, we even did like some jazz. It was kind of all over the board. Gotcha. That's kind of a big, well, it's a big step. It seems like, well, I don't know. Big step is kind of a weird word, but cause you had already moved off like on your own to a new place, Mm -hmm. not really knowing anyone, but to move to New Jersey and be in a place where it's like, I guess up to then you'd kind of been in like Christian dance environment, more ministry based, or at least in sort mm-hmm. of that community. So what was it like for you kind of stepping out into a totally new place and not in necessarily that Christian community environment? That was really hard for me. And I didn't expect that at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized how much I relied on that community until it wasn't there. Mm, yeah. And um, I think it was especially hard too, because I had a bunch of people around me who said that they were believers, but it wasn't really a daily part of a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also contributed because I was like, Oh, I'm still in this like environment with people who are very like-minded and it's going to just be the same, like dance and believers and point shoes, but (laughs) here we go. (laughs) And then it wasn't. And um, so it was, it was hard. And where I was living, I was living with a family that blatantly questioned all of my beliefs as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming home one night from a home group that I had attended. And right when I walked in the door, one of the people in the house was like, do you really believe all that stuff? And it just, I feel like that it was like that a lot. Just like my beliefs were questioned on mm-hmm. a daily basis or challenged on a daily basis. And so it led me to a pretty dark season of my faith where I really questioned if God existed and then finally realized that he did. And so I just ended up mad at him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and 
it was a really, really hard time, but I think it was really good for my faith to, you know, just make it my own. I think everyone has to go through that at some point in their mm-hmm. life in some extreme or minimal way, depending on the personality. But I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty extreme person, so I think my <laughs> <laughs> my experiences tend to reflect that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really true too that for everybody we kind of have to hit that point of like is this really real? Is this really what I believe? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like I'm sure there's people listening that are in that season or maybe are going to walk through that season. So what are some things that you found maybe helped you through that? Or would you have any recommendations for people if they're in that place of like, yeah, I don't know, intense reevaluation maybe? I'm not sure what mm-hmm. word to use. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I had an amazing friend in like her 60s at that time. And I don't know what I would have done without her. So I pray that anyone going through that season has a friend like mine. Her name's Jonna, Mm -hmm. but she is one of the coolest people I've ever met. She is an amazing woman of God and so much faith, but she is, she cusses, she smokes, she drinks. She's like definitely on the rougher side of things, but Uh loves Jesus more than most people I've met. Uh (laughs) Um, So I just spent a lot of time with her and it was amazing to just be around someone who was completely judgment free Mm -hmm. while I was not wanting to follow the Lord or any of his ways. And she always told me, you know, if you just want to like, I mean, God can handle anything you at him she's like if you need to just like say whatever you need to say he can handle some cuss words yeah it's <laughs> fine and and she was like and he can handle your questioning and he can handle your doubting and so just having someone in my life to encourage that mm-hmm. and encourage me to not try to like hide from god but just be really raw with yeah. him and where i was at and the one piece of advice she gave me that i like to offer others is to not stop going to church and church drove me crazy at the time. And it still does in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I can't stand fluffy messages. It's really hard for me to even hear testimonies these days because I feel like we just focus on the end of a journey. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't have kids and then I had one or I struggled yeah. with drugs, but now I'm clean. And I just wish that we heard more like, I still haven't had a kid. Right. I still struggle with drugs. Yeah. I still have cancer. The end. Like that's a testimony in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so. And the fact that God is with us in those things. Yes. He's yeah. still with us and we don't have to present a glorious end goal. So anyways, that's, that's so good. my <laughs> small soapbox on church. But at the time that was keeping me from church and that was a part of my anger and resentment towards God and church and people. And mm-hmm. so she told me, no matter how you feel, even if you hate every minute of it, don't stop going to church. Mm-hmm. She was like, the enemy just wants to isolate you. And if you stop going and you take yourself out of that community entirely, he's one. And you you can't let that happen. And so I... I listened to her and I did. And I went to church and I hated every minute of it for a very long time, but I kept going. Yeah. And I would vent to anyone who would listen afterwards. <laughs> I would nice. sit there with a sour look on my face and my arms crossed during worship, but I sat there. And so I think that's probably the one best piece of advice I could yeah. offer anyone else in that season. Yeah. Just keep going to church. That's awesome. <laughs> so good. So was that mostly during your time in New Jersey or did it kind of translate into when you were in New York as well? Um, it was mostly just New Jersey. I think by the time I got to New York, I was coming out of that season. Mm-hmm. The Lord gotcha. was still doing a lot in my heart, but we were moving forward. Right. Yeah. Moving forward <laughs> one day at a time, one step at a time. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so good. And like, I love that picture of, yeah, I think we do often kind of think about testimonies is like the happy ending for sure. And mm-hmm. that's, and you're so right that that in a lot of ways can be very discouraging for people, I think, and mm-hmm. more, like you said, kind of create anger or resentment or bitterness. And mm-hmm. even think about that with certain Christian like 
I don't know, movies or plays or whatever. And it's like, you know, you kind of get to this like, yay, everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, that's not really real life. Yeah, it's not a Hallmark movie. (laughs) Exactly. As much as we love Hallmark movies. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't always work out. (laughs) (laughs) Matt and I were watching a Hallmark last night and we were, (laughs) I was like, you know, one day, they should make a Hallmark with a really sad ending. Just like just reality everyone. people. Yes. <laughs> like the prince and the princess do not end up together. What? It's not a happily ever after. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the That's dog so never comes home. Oh, no. <laughs> so tragic. But yeah, you're right. That would That would probably be good for all of us in like reality. <laughs> Speaking of though, Hallmark Channel Christmas movies are fun. <laughs> this yes. time of year. I love them. Yes, but it's definitely, it's fun. And it is kind of nice to have the predictable ending, but. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because you don't have to stress. You're like, okay, it's going to be fine. (laughs) You know, it's going to be great. (laughs) Yes, but that's true. In life, I think it's really beautiful that the Lord is with us, like through those, Mm -hmm. the hard moments. And, you know, even when he doesn't choose to heal people or, you know, Mm -hmm. to bring about whatever we want to happen, but like recognizing his his goodness in the midst of it. And like, even yeah. in the heartbreak or even in the pain that he's, he's got a purpose in it. And it's like way easier said mm-hmm. than done, but, but like trusting that in the moment. Yeah. And I love that that's something I think that Mako does really well too. And so that's going to be fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your experience before we get into that, your experience, like as a project-based dancer and kind of your time in New York and even, I guess, somewhat in Houston when you came back and were dancing yeah. Open Sky and stuff like that. New York was fun mm-hmm. and challenging. I was, um, Matt and I were dating and then I we were engaged for the first like year or so that I was in New York. Mm-hmm. And then we were married the rest of the time. So it was much easier to be married in New York. I <laughs> Just bet. to have like, you know, family to live with. New York yeah. was hard. But we had an amazing church, so that that really changed our New York experience as well. Yeah, I bet. But I first, I got to New York working for Joffrey, and okay. that was really wild and a lot of fun. I lived with, there were four RAs in the building that I lived in, and we were in charge of 80 students between Whoa. the ages of 14 and like 22. Wow. So it was a lot of responsibility and a lot of work. Man, I I could probably spend like hours telling you all of those stories, but I bet. so that's like one adult per 20 kids or 20 students. Yeah, but the way it worked was we had an on-call cell phone and whoever was on call had the cell phone and they were in charge of all the students for 12 hours. Oh wow. And then you'd switch and give the cell phone to your roommate <laughs> and they wow. would be in charge for 12 hours. So, and then we had one head RA. So she was kind of our, we would call her if things got bad, but we right. were supposed to try to just handle it. Mice, people trying to break into the building, smoke alarms going off, Whoa. doors not working, hospital runs with kids, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Wow. Is there one story that stands out? Oh my all gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I don't know if you know this. I went to um, Joffrey, their summer intensive when I was like, okay, they're 15 or 16, 15, maybe. Okay. So I was probably one of those <laughs> cool. kids at one point. <laughs> yes. The yeah. summer was very different too. We had summer kids and that was a lot easier because, you know, they're just there for a couple of weeks and their parents pack like enough food to last them yeah. for the entire year. And they're fine. <laughs> but the kids who were there all year, these 14 year olds who have never grocery shopped for themselves wow. and they're in New York city trying to grocery shop, which is a whole nother experience. And yeah. Cause that's like, at least from what I remember, it was like, you know, it's smaller, a little like hole in the wall places that you're getting groceries mm-hmm. and stuff. It's not like you can go to HEB on the corner. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Trader Joe's in New York is a whole different place. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> I remember waking up one morning at like, I don't know, six or 7 a.m. And the phone was going off. And it was it was right at the time 
where my roommate and I should be like switching the phone. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a gray area of whose responsibility it was when the phone rang. (laughs) And so one call came in and someone's toilet wouldn't flush. And I was like, seriously, it is like six in the morning. I do not want to come and unclog your toilet. Right. But I got out of bed and I was like, okay, fine, I'll go unclog a toilet. And then the phone went off right away again before I could get out of the room. And someone said that they had a mouse dead on their floor. Oh, no. So I was like, no, it is 6 a.m. I'm not unclogging toilets and scraping a mouse off the floor. (laughs) Emily, get up. (laughs) (laughs) I woke my roommate up and I was like, do you want the toilet or the mouse? And she was so mad at me. (laughs) I feel bad now. I probably should have not done that to her, but. She was a great sport. She helped me out. Oh, that's good teamwork. You know, sometimes that's that's what it takes. Yes. That's probably one of the more lighter-hearted stories. (laughs) That's great. Reminds me of that one time. Do you remember? It was Christy, but we were fellow RAs across the hall from each other in Caldwell Hall, which works out now, Caldwell. But anyway, so we were like both on the same floor, but on opposite sides. And I think at one point we were like, being there for each other to like get a cockroach because you know it's just gross and oh yes uh, yeah, but it was like okay lot. I have like somebody has my back and anyway so we definitely <laughs> tag teamed a lot <laughs> it's good to have a buddy it's nice to have that support <laughs> yes for sure we were more like okay I've worked for 12 hours don't ask me for anything <laughs> yes I could totally understand that <laughs> So funny. Oh, man. So, and then you got to work for a good number of companies in New York while you were there, right? Like dancing wise and doing yeah. experiences and stuff. Yeah. Really cool. None of them were very long term. It was more like a project here and there, but it was a lot of fun. I got to work with the Next Stage project, which was just through one of my teachers in New York. Mm-hmm. I danced with the Project Dance Company for one of the project dances. Oh, cool. Atmosphere. Did a little hip-hop dance. That was fun. Nice. Bringing back the (laughs) hip-hop. Yes. (laughs) I presented work and performed at different times in Awakening Movements showcases. Yeah. Loved what they were doing. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. I love Hannah and Brandon. Mm -hmm. And... Did some music videos with a friend. That's fun. And can't remember anything else that I did. Those are the ones that stick out. That's fun. That's really cool. And just kind of like getting to experience different things. And Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Then like your next step was coming to Houston, right? With Mm Adam. Yeah. So then you kind of transitioned back into like company life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. What for you was like pros and cons of like freelance versus company life? I think when I finally got to Adam, I was just really happy to not have to audition anymore, mm-hmm. which is ironic because I don't think anything I ever actually auditioned for ever worked out. Any dancing I did was like a friend or a teacher or yeah, that's some so other interesting. Yeah, which I'm sure everyone has that story. Auditions really are kind of a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> More about um, who you but know. I learned a lot. Yes. Learned a lot about auditioning or through auditioning. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed not auditioning anymore. And just the community, the constant community mm-hmm. that you get in a company setting is so sweet. So you go through all the good and all the bad and all the ups and downs with the same group of people. And that's just really rewarding mm-hmm. to stick it out. I think there's an excitement about freelancing and jumping from project to project and getting to do just a variety of different styles and performing in different places. Mm-hmm. But I definitely prefer the company life. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That's really cool. <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. I definitely love the community aspect of it and getting to, mm-hmm. yeah, bond through. I've said this before on the show, but like bond through shared suffering <laughs> yeah. and joys too. And like the good, good yeah. times as well. <laughs> want to take a brief pause for my conversation with Maggie and thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Creative Impact Podcast. Seriously, you listening on the other end is what makes this so special and getting to hear from listeners brings so much joy. 
If you're enjoying the show, something that would mean so much to me is if you would do a quick rating and review on iTunes, which actually helps other people to find the show as well. Also, as you're doing your Christmas shopping this year, I want to invite you to check out The Root Collective. The Root Collective is a company that partners with artisans in Guatemala to create beautiful handcrafted shoes, bags, and more. They have super cute boots as well as flats. You can customize them to fit your style. The best part is that every purchase creates jobs for artisans who need them. Join me in making a difference through our shopping this Christmas season. To learn more about the story behind The Root Collective and to check out their products, you can go to creativeimpactpodcast.com slash RC, which stands for Root Collective. Again, that's creativeimpactpodcast.com slash RC. Now back to the second half of my conversation with Maggie. And I kind of skipped over it, I guess, because Mako got started while you were in New York, right? Yeah. Super cool. In 2015, we started it as the Belial Dance Collective. Oh, was really? our first name. I didn't realize yeah. that. Cool. <laughs> we didn't have, it was before my mom was diagnosed with cancer and we didn't really have a clear mission. It was just kind of I really want to start a dance company and I don't really know what to do with it yet, but we had an opportunity to perform. So we just were the Belial Dance Collective. Nice. Just made it happen. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So then how did it like shift into Mako? My mom was diagnosed with cancer in, well, she started feeling a lump in her breast in 20, end of 2015. Okay. And then was diagnosed with breast cancer early 2016 had a mastectomy and a reconstructive surgery. So 2016 was really just pretty consumed with her battle. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know how it came up, but because, so we were in New York at the time, but because I had not landed any auditions Uh (laughs) in New York, I was able to be with my mom during her recovery, Mm. which was really sweet. And looking back, I remember at the time just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful that I didn't get any of those auditions. And looking back, you know, there's some that you look back on and you think, okay, I see why I didn't get that. I missed that whole entire eight count or (laughs) (laughs) couldn't get my leg as high as she could or whatever. Uh There was a clear reason. But then there's some you look back on and you're like, what? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Uh Yeah, I really, really thought I had that. And, but anyways, just really thankful. I didn't land any auditions that year. So just through my time with my mom during her recovery and walking through that whole process with her, I just became really passionate about listening to people who have walked through difficult times and especially cancer Mm -hmm. because so often if you have a loved one going through cancer and you bring it up the first thing someone's going to say to you is oh yeah my mom my grandma my aunt my uncle they had cancer and then they want to share their story with you which is great mm-hmm. but your story is really unique and needs to be heard and i feel like people are way too quick to kind of hijack someone else sharing their story (laughs) just to share their own. So that was just something that really stuck out to me during my mom's journey is people would ask, how, how's your mom doing? And I would start saying a couple of words and then they'd be like, oh yeah, it was the same for my mom and blah, 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 blah. Mm, Yeah. I just felt like I never got to finish sharing and always wanted someone just to listen. And so that's, for me, that was kind of a big reason Mako started. It was just to be a listening ear to -hmm. people who are walking through a really hard journey. And I really don't know. My mom really kind of had a vision for it. I don't remember how any of those conversations came about, but we just started dreaming up these concerts where people got to share their stories through dance. And here we are. That's so amazing. And I really enjoyed, I got to come to, I think it was one of your first, concerts that you put together yeah in Houston and where you yeah did the piece that was for your mom Mm -hmm. 
and I think for your aunt mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. That was so special. And it was really powerful hearing, like literally hearing some of their stories through recordings and things like that, but then also seeing it lived out through movement mm-hmm. and through dance and that expression. So I think that's such a cool mission and purpose that is pretty unique. I mean, I think a lot of dancers and dance companies are doing like telling stories, but to have more of a a more defined purpose, I guess, for Mm -hmm. um, sharing stories. Yeah. 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 Sharing stories, especially with cancer survivors or people that are walking through it currently and stuff like that. I think that's Mm -hmm. so powerful. What's some of the feedback that you've gotten through, through sharing people's stories and like getting to to bring that to the world. It's been it's been so humbling. We've we got to work with this one man after he lost his wife. Oh wow. And I think when we started working with him it was a year since she had passed away. And that that's literally one of the most humbling dance experiences I've ever had. Mm-hmm. To try to tell someone's life, death and legacy through dance. Yeah. And I just remember like, you know, I was doing these interviews with this man and creating the format for the dance and we were having rehearsals at this time. And I just remember like coming to the Lord and thinking, I can't do this. Like I can't tell someone's life, death and legacy in five minutes. Right. How does anyone do that? (laughs) (laughs) And it was a really sweet process. He told me at the end of it that I was like an angel in his life and that that it really helped him accept his wife's passing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so beautiful because we can't, you know, she was gone by the time we met him Mm -hmm. and there's nothing within my power that can bring her back. And there's nothing I can do to even help ease his pain, but to help him accept what had happened is huge. That is huge. um, I think it just came through through the interview process. We had some email correspondence and then multiple different phone calls. And I just asked the same questions over and over, honestly, just to get a better recording of some of the stories that he had told. And it was so cool to watch him go from sobbing through a specific story mm-hmm. to shedding a few tears the next time he told it to eventually laughing through yeah. telling the same story. And just to, to hear that healing happen was amazing. We also worked with, like you said, my aunt mm-hmm. telling her story. And she is, she is a tough lady, like the kind of person who's like, I just remember hearing her story. She just always felt like, why am I important? Why am I any different? than the next person mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let this get to me and her the big part of her story was I don't have time for this I remember and that we even named the piece that yeah. I don't have time for this she just is on the go busy can't be weighed down by cancer mm-hmm. and she said when she watched her dance it was the first time that she ever felt sorry for herself mm. and I thought that that was a really interesting response but I think it was really good for her <laughs> Because she's so strong, Mm -hmm. so tough, so brave. But I think it's good every once in a while to just let yourself grieve a little bit Mm -hmm. and let yourself be vulnerable. And I think that watching her dance gave that to her for a brief moment. Yeah. And uh, we recently had a really cool opportunity to perform a dance called Pink Sunsets for a woman in Dallas and she she was diagnosed back in, I think, 2016. Mm-hmm. And we created this dance for her in 2018. And at the time, she had only been given six months to live. Wow. So when we performed this piece, she actually wasn't able to watch it the first time we performed it. And so we didn't know if we would ever be able to perform it for her. So she had just seen a video but we performed it last weekend in Dallas and she got to come front and center. And she just said that it really touched her and that she'll always remember it. And the, the piece is about her preparing her boys for a life without her. And so Mm -hmm. in, in reality, she's made these videos for her sons and 
in preparation for when they graduate from high school, watch this video. And when they graduate from college, wow. they'll watch this one. And when they have, get married or have a baby. And so she's really prepared very well. And so the there's a solo representing her and then a duet with two boys. And it's all about her packing the suitcase and the boys unpacking it oh, over time. Wow. That just gave me chills. It's a really, really sweet piece. And there's this uh, moment at the beginning of the duet where the boys fight with some rain boots and it's really comical. And we asked her after the piece was over, if the boys represented her boys well. And she said, yes, <laughs> so much so that one of her boys, the new the new thing that he does is he throws his shoes over the gate mm-hmm. at their house. And so during the dance, one of our dancers threw the boot and it almost went over the gate <laughs> where we were dancing. That's awesome. So it was just funny, even in small ways to yeah. see. Kind of the connection. Their lives reflect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it really impacted her. She she didn't have a lot of words, but I got to sit next to her and mm-hmm. she was just little teary-eyed. So I, I think it meant a lot. Yeah. That's so powerful. And it's pretty amazing. I think that just the power of story and the power of dance and art to to help us process emotions. And like you were saying, and process grief and like walk through mm-hmm. grief and not just try to avoid it, but like mm-hmm. dive a little bit deeper. And yeah, I was curious when you've had the opportunity to interview people and talk to them about their stories, do you have any advice for people for having better conversations, like deeper conversations and figuring out ways to like really soak in and listen to people and not necessarily cut off and like jump into our own experiences, mm-hmm. I guess, like you were saying? I usually go into an interview. I try to go in with a couple of questions prepared, mm-hmm. but sometimes I don't even have one because I really try to just listen and make it more of a conversation and just go off of what sounds important to them, what chokes someone up when they're talking and they sound like they're shedding a few tears or makes them laugh. I really try to go off of emotion is one big thing. And I also try, I've interviewed some kids and kids don't always know what to say so I, I try to lead them to say some really, <laughs> some deeper things mm-hmm. just by the questions I ask. Like um, I had one, I had interviewed the mom and I had asked her, I had heard her, her whole story. And she had this story about snow and how it snowed after her surgery one day. And that meant a lot to her. So I was talking to one of her kids and I... <laughs> I asked him, you know, do you remember when it snowed on the day of your mom's surgery? And he's like, oh yeah. And he starts explaining the day to me. And then I was like, so do you, do you think you'll think of your mom every time you see snow now? He was like, I thought, I thought I had really asked a good question that was going to lead to this really sweet answer. Uh Like, oh yeah, I'm going to think of my mom every time it snows. And (laughs) he was like, uh, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) So I was like, oh, that, that didn't work. (laughs) I do try to lead people in. If I hear something that's important to them and feel like I can stage a question to help lead them to a deeper realization of what they've just said, I'll try to form my question appropriately. It's hard to do without a solid example in front of me, but. Right. That makes sense though. Yeah. Just listen to people. Mm-hmm. kind of honing in on like what seems valuable to them and mm-hmm. that's super good yeah yeah so valuable and especially these days like I think it's easy for us to kind of I don't know be more focused self-focused I guess and like mm-hmm. to really take the time to really focus on that other person super good yeah I, th- I think it's a really delicate balance of listening and not inserting my own story yet offering enough of myself and my own story to encourage someone else to share the same. Yeah. And that's just a very, very fine line because you talk to people who just make it all about them. And like I was saying earlier, you share and they're like, oh yeah, that happened to me. And you're like, well, 
Mm-hmm. No, you didn't really finish hearing what I was sharing. That's not even remotely similar. Right. <laughs> and then you meet other people who just want to sit there and listen and don't give you any kind of like feedback. And I think both of those are hard, mm-hmm. hard to engage with. So our heart with Mako is really to listen, but I think you have to offer some vulnerability and some self yeah. to allow that in someone else. Right. Vulnerability leads to vulnerability. I've heard that before and I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I can't believe it's already like probably been over an hour. I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. I love <laughs> it. I just want to keep talking. <laughs> Do you have any like things that you're currently like super passionate about or looking forward to as you move into the rest of 2020 and into the new year? I know this is like, I can't believe it's getting to the end of 2020. This is crazy, but yeah, ah. it is. Well, currently we're working on a somewhat of a holiday show. Mm-hmm called Story Lane. We actually did our first Story Lane back in July. Yeah, kind of in the midst of all the pandemic. Yeah. Craziness. Weird time to do a show, but we started these outdoor traveling shows that go from one front yard to the other. And we have a tour guide that leads the group and kind of explains a little bit about the piece before the audience travels to the next location Mm. and it was really sweet my neighbor was the tour guide and she played her guitar and led people down the dirt road so we're preparing for a Christmas show or holiday show we might be changing things up we may just be in one location we might go to different locations we're still figuring it out Mm -hmm. but um we'll be presenting one piece about snow from that one woman I was talking about yeah And hoping to expand on my mom's dance and a part of her story just has to do with the gifts that came through her journey with cancer. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the focus of the show is it's called The Gift. And we're hoping to just portray kind of the beautiful side of such a tragic journey. Mm -hmm. I know it's always a hard one, but there are a lot of a lot of sweet things that I think come through people's lives. That was at least my mom's experience. Um, Just a journey of thankfulness in the midst of a trial. That's beautiful. So yeah, we're working on that. And those have been our big projects this year is Story Lane. And we bring project dancers in and rehearse throughout the weekend and then perform on Sunday. And that's it. Just a short-term thing. We have weekly rehearsals with a small core group right now, and that's been really sweet Mm -hmm. just to have that time every week to rehearse with my dancers. Yeah, kind of tying back into that community element. Yes, that has been so good this year to have a small community of dancers to lean on. Mm -hmm. So I'm really thankful for them. Yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing. And I really I'm so excited for all that's to come and everything that you guys have already presented and just really grateful for your heart for sharing stories and for really connecting with people and keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's really amazing and so beautiful. Excited to see what comes Thanks, of it. Rach. Yeah. Thank you. So I was curious, I like to ask, is there something that's on your heart that you would want to share with other artists that are listening right now? I feel like there's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard to like narrow down sometimes. <laughs> Can I say two? Yeah, totally. One thing is in line with, Mako um, and just the heart of what we do. Again, going back to listening, I think that so much of art is about saying what we want to say as artists. And I think there's a lot of value in just listening to the people around you and the environment around you. And so I would just encourage my fellow artists to listen to people. And it really is special to honor someone through dance. And that's a huge part of our heart is just to honor people. Mm -hmm. We say we exist to listen. So I would just, I would just encourage my fellow artists to listen and, and to honor people through their gift. I don't think we realize that we can really offer this as a gift to people and telling their story is so sweet. And even just, as a Christmas gift to someone like choreograph a dance about your grandpa's life Mm. and choreograph a dance about 
your family's favorite dog that just passed away or choreograph a dance about your new niece or nephew that was born. And I think that that is an amazing gift that we can give to our loved ones. Mm -hmm. I never think to do that. Like we do this on a, on a bigger scale for people who've endured cancer that I'm just meeting for the first time, but it makes me want to choreograph a dance for Zuli or choreograph a dance for my husband or, you know, so I just encourage people to offer their gift as a gift (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to specific people that you know and that you love. That brings so much meaning and depth to it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing has, is just a more um, recent thought with, I think just the current events, COVID. And I know that dancers don't really have a stage these days. We don't really have an audience Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are getting really creative, which is awesome. But I have been studying Genesis this year and really blown away by the creation story yeah. and how God just, he just had a blast creating and everything he did, he said, this is good. Mm-hmm. And then he created us and said that we're made in his image. And so we are creative beings and I've just been so encouraged to create even in the absence of a space to perform what we create and thankfully we've had plenty of performance opportunities which is awesome all outdoors so it's been really fun but even if we didn't I feel like God's given me so much purpose in just the act of creating because in the act of creating I get to be like him. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage my fellow artists to not stop creating because you get to do God's work just by creating. And that in and of itself with no performance, no production is a holy and beautiful task worth Mm -hmm. doing. That's so good. Love that so much. So what is one of your favorite things right now? Uh, Well, I mean, my favorite thing ever is Zuli. She's so cute. But <laughs> you'd have to come over and hang out with her. <laughs> the other thing is my, <laughs> the nursing pads I use oh, yeah. are the best. <laughs> nice. But I'm sure that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. We probably have some moms listening that <laughs> might like to use <laughs> If anyone wants to know, I can send an Amazon link. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, let me think of something better. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Rach. That's a good question. Thanks. No worries. Sorry. I mean, Zuli is a great answer. So it's all Zuli good. Zuli is the best thing ever. She's so funny. So awesome. I think I'll go with Zuli. She's Perfect. my favorite thing. That's great. <laughs> I love it so much. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you and kind of connect in either with you personally or with Mako, what's the best way to do that? They can check out our website at mako.dance. Email us at people at mako.dance or check out our Facebook or Instagram. Our Facebook is just mako.dance and our Instagram is at mako.dance. Awesome. And I can link to those in the show notes too. So people can find you and yeah, just so thankful for you and really um, excited to see what's to come and hope you guys have an awesome holiday season (laughs) with with Zuli and with family it's gonna be so fun (laughs) I love you friend love you I hope you enjoyed the first conversation in our family Christmas series you can find links from the show and the full show notes on our website Are you interested in supporting the show and getting extra content? Check out our Patreon community. You can learn more at creativeimpactpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's creativeimpactpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Next week on the show, my aunt Cianne Smith joins me for part two of our family Christmas series. She shares how her passion for dance was rekindled after a long career in the retail world, and she became a certified Zumba instructor at the age of 60. You guys are going to be so inspired by her story. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Impact Podcast. 
The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. Share the show with a friend, check out our Patreon community, and I'll see you next week for my conversation with C.N. Smith. 